there's there's just no excuse. You are always responsible for the harm you do to other people. And mm. when it comes to gender and when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to all these issues that m most people don't have firsthand experience with, unfortunately, it becomes unsafe. It becomes harmful and you you isolate people. And that's that's discrimination. That's homophobia. That's transphobia. When people aren't safe, when people aren't respected, that's that's harmful. Once again, this is Kyle here to give you the vital info you need before joining us in our little watery coves and conversations. Please send us any questions or comments you may have about this topic to geometricoctopus at gmail.com. Trigger warnings for this episode include ostracization, homophobia, transphobia, violence towards people of the LGBT community, and personal stories about the discovery of an identity. Please be a responsible listener. For this episode, it would be great if you could join me because we've become rather personal here and I might need someone to lean on. So put on your oxygen mouthpiece, grab a blanket, some snacks, and join us when you're ready. This is episode 5, Scars and Stories. So up until this point, we haven't really talked about um, sexual or romantic orientation, but we've been talking about uh, gender orientation. Is there anything that you'd like to say on that, Klaus? What we were actually talking about in the break, which just kind of came up, was um, the difference between sexual attraction and romantic, orienta romantic orientation. And there's also a difference between sexual attraction and sexual orientation, but like, it's, it's, it's very subtle. When we're talking about this, but it's, we actually refer to it as the split attraction model. The split attraction model is important, particularly in, when it comes to asexual or gray asexual or demisexual orientation identities versus um, what the, the word that's typically used is allosexual. And there's a lot of discussion about whether or not that term is like okay or whether or not we want to just use the word sexual. And also whether or not the, the term allosexual comes with an idea of privilege. And that's a bit complicated because really the difference between allosexual privilege and asexual privilege, it's it's... It's very subtle and it's very in community. And it's not something that is often talked about. But just to talk about the split attraction model, what we basically mean is that romantic, people who you feel romantic attraction to, based on typically on their gender, is not necessarily the same that you feel sexual attraction to. Like maybe if you're sexually attracted to men and women, but you only feel romantically attracted to, attracted to women, that would make you bisexual or pansexual, depending on what your perception of gender is. Say you're a woman that would make you homosexual. Not homoromantic, I meant homoromantic. I hate doing this because I can never get the words right the first time. Apologies. But when we're talking about the split attraction model in the in the idea of asexuality or aromanticism, that's when it's typically most important because other times there's a lot of issues that we don't really want to... They're more complicated than this. Specifically, uh, an example that's used a lot is... um. It, it has to come with compulsory heterosexuality in women. People who, especially people who are, are already like, they're being socialized to be women, like they're cis women, 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 women. The typical idea of a woman. Because those are the people that are typically targeted with compulsory heterosexuality. More accurately, compulsory androsexuality. People who are attracted to men. You're, you have to be attracted to men 
if you are a woman. That is an idea that is both used against cis women, it's used against trans women, and it's often used to, to invalidate trans women, actually, which is really, really and also leads to a whole bunch of misconceptions about like what it what it means to be trans because being trans is not linked with your with your sexual orientation or your romantic orientation it's really not and that's another thing we have to talk about when we're talking about the differences between orientations and identities yes <laughs> it's it's the whole people wanting to keep it all together and linked and saying oh you have to do this to this. yeah like you said it's <laughs> bullshit we should say that. We should say that more. It's, <laughs> it's complete the... bull. So bull. Yes. And we're bathing in bull. At the same time, of course, it's it's not entirely fair to say that these things are absolutely not related, and we shouldn't consider them to be the same thing because they aren't the same thing. But it's not that they're not related, because your the way you talk about orientation and the way you talk about your history with orientation is changed by what your gender is. The way you perceive romantic orientation versus sexual orientation is different based on what each of those identities is. And that's in turn affected by gender. That's in turn affected by socialization and gender assigned at birth. It's very complicated, and in some cases it can be counterintuitive. <laughs> and it's hard to figure out where to start, honestly, when it comes to this kind of thing. But what I was saying about compulsory heterosexuality in women is when we're talking about the split attraction model, it's sometimes used by young women who are, who will later identify as lesbians. Because learning about the split attraction model sometimes results in these young women identifying as like, oh, well, um, maybe I'm just, I'm, I'm homosexual, but I'm, I'm biromantic. I'm attracted to both men and women. Uh, because they feel like they're complicated too. Maybe maybe they're just not sexually attracted to men, or it can be the opposite. It can be oh, I'm sexually attracted to both men and women, but I'm only really like romantically interested in women. But like you know, whatever. Those identities. It's not that those identities can't exist. It's that those identities are affected by gender, and those identities are affected by what people are raised as. <sighs> it's complicated when we talk about what people are raised as because that doesn't necessarily always mean like. Cis women raised as women who still identify as women into their adulthood have a very different experience than trans women who were like their parents thought they were guys. And that not necessarily means that they have the same experience as cis men, it just means that they don't have the same experience as cis women. And it's very, very complicated when it comes to that kind of issue, because like, it's the same kind of issue that results in trans exclusive feminism. And it's false. Because the idea of socialization being absolutely what we think about when we think about what it, what makes us male and what makes us female, it's tempting to say like, yeah, that's definitely it because gender is a social construct, but it's not true because gender is a personal identity and it's not necessarily shaped by what people think you are and what you've been told you are. And if that was true, we wouldn't even have transgender people because it's just not, it's just not. But anyway, the way that your gender is perceived, the way you perceive gender, the way other people perceive gender, affects sexuality. And it affects romanticism, but not necessarily what you identify as. It just it just affects how you experience it and the way you talk about it. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah, I wanna go I wanna go back to the section where you mentioned how people are made to believe well, I mean overall you were saying that, but people are made to believe that they need to do this in order to mm. be validated or in order to feel like they're not, you know, people think that, mm. oh no, am I not normal, you know, because yeah. this is stuff like that. And so 
I want to talk more about how it's used as a weapon against people who truly don't identify with feeling what is known as normal or whatever. The commonly, yeah, the common heteronormative <laughs> stuff. Yeah. This is, this is good stuff. It's, <laughs> it's a lot, though, to take into at the same mm. time. Yeah. As a way to bring us all back into this conversation, and you guys obviously do not have to answer if you don't want to, but uh, is anybody willing to talk about their own sexual or romantic orientation? And their experience, possibly their experience, uh, figuring that out. I'm, of course, willing to talk about it. That's part of my role here as being a guest speaker. But um, I'd like to let anyone else who's on the show like to talk first. You want me to talk first? Anybody. Kyle, this could be your chance to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Kyle. Uh, mm, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, um, how about Anna and I talk about it? Okay. Well, I'm, I'm less experienced, but I would definitely have stories well, to tell. It's, so. it's, not, it's not necessarily a question of experience, because in this case, it's just it's just your own personal... I don't want to talk about it in a well, using then, wrong language or anything. Mm. Yeah, um, I guess. And would you like to go first? Um, as I believe we've already talked about how, uh, how uh, sexuality can be fluid... Absolutely. That's right? definitely part of what I understand as romantic and orient sexual orientations work. They are yeah. fluid. So that has given me a bit of trouble in attempting to figure out how I feel about people. And then there's also this concept of being raised in a heteronormative and obviously very uh, sexualized society. At this point, my best guess just considering my feelings, is that I am asexual panromantic. However, within asexuality, within my asexuality, I am not adverse to doing things uh, so long as it is to please my partner, but I don't experience sexual attraction. Like, I don't look at somebody and think, oh, I want to do stuff to them. The only time I think anything even close to that is if it's somebody who I really like and would like to, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like it, not, it's not in the sense of I necessarily want to do this to them for my benefit. Anyway, hmm. moving on. Anything else you'd like to say? Um, I think I'm pretty fairly good there. Right. I, I don't think we've we've talked a little bit about your gender identity. A little bit, yeah. So I think uh, talking about gender identity might be a good thing to bring up here. Um, at this point in time, uh, my gender identity is I identify completely wholeheartedly as female. I have for years and years and years. Uh, it took me quite a while to work up the courage to... Um, talk to my parents about it and talk to other people about it. But I've actually been able to accept that. And it's, it's really a huge weight off my chest. It's nice. It really is nice. And I'm moving forward from there. I'm gradually presenting more and more feminine. And yeah. Although... 
because gender presentation is different from gender identity, my gender presentation tends to be pretty fairly butch. <laughs> what was the thing you said earlier about that? <laughs> oh, um, yeah. It's, I would like to also be able to dress femme, but I'm too lazy. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a lot easier to dress butch. Anyway. Um, That's very true. <laughs> I was just going to say that it's the good thing about having a podcast episode this long is that if there's anybody that we don't want to know about the things that we're saying towards the end of this <laughs> podcast, they're probably not going to get to this point. They've been weeded out. They're too weak. They won't survive the winter. Fusion <laughs> is just a cheap tactic to make weak gems stronger. <laughs> so, um, long December. Klaus, would you like to, to say things? Uh, sure, I will say many things. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it was mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that I identify as non-binary and that I am queer, but that's un- unlike Anne. My my, my identity has always been very solid. It's just taken me basically up until the last year of my life to really understand that, like, okay, this is the word. This is definitely it. <laughs> Instead of understanding, like, like, well, like. I, when I talked about compulsory heterosexuality, that was me. I was that kid. I was like, well, um, I really like this girl, but like, I guess I'm like, I was once at one point courted by a guy for like a day. So like, I must also like guys. Uh, so, and so I was like, yeah, well, I guess I'm bi. But, <laughs> and then like a year later, oh. I was just kind of like, you know what? No, I'm really not. I'm, I'm not. That's not true. I'm not. No. <laughs> I'm not attracted to men. I'm not. Which is... It's interesting to talk about that because it's like... Little, like, 13-year-old me having their first girlfriend was very confused <laughs> about that and what that meant. But after moving this far into my life, it's actually gotten a bit more complicated because learning about there being more than just men and women was also very complicated for little 14-year-old me who at that point did not identify as non-binary because little 14-year-old me didn't know that that was a thing. <laughs> I would just like to, I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but I, I actually, I had the same thing with my gender mm. identity is I knew that I was a girl, but I did not mention that to anybody. And one of the reasons why I didn't was because you get scared because pe- people your entire life have been telling you no. Like, my entire life, people have been saying, like, people have been making jokes using the T-slur. People mm-hmm. have been completely invalidating transgender people. So I thought, this is, to be frank, to be frank, I thought that it was mental illness. I thought that Absolutely. it was a, as a result of that. And so I just, I didn't tell anybody for years and years and years. And I'm wishing that I had. I really wish that I had. Absolutely. There's there's a there's this compulsion for trans people to like to not come out. But at the same time there's there's this um it was described once to me by another person who was very insightful about this about that when trans people come out as young children, it's like it's a young it's a phase. They don't understand gender. They'll get over it, just take away their Barbies or whatever. But when they come out as teenagers, it's a phase and they they just learned about it. They're trying to be, they're trying to be different. When they come out as adults, it's like it's like, well, why didn't you come out when you were younger? And it's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> well, I tried. <laughs> and then. Um, and that's, 
God, it's it's complicated to talk about these kind of things because no, no one, no one ever believes you, and it, it's complicated, especially because all of that, all of that push towards like no 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 gets internalized, and we, we wanted to talk about internalization earlier, about and not, and this occurs on all axes of the queer spectrum is like internalized homophobia and internalized transphobia and it's it sucks it, and it really it hinders development of a personal identity that isn't like false it isn't a face that you've put on to conform yeah. and in some ways that's also what the split attraction model in young girls like young lesbians identifying as bisexual followed by identifying as le full les fully lesbian because it's been internalized like you have to have that and that if you, and if you have this there's if, if you have this other identity then there's something wrong with you that's part of what contributes to the idea that like it, it's okay for young kids to be going into gender conversion therapies or going into sexuality conversion therapies because people see it as being false as being an illness and for the longest time it's actually it was actually diagnosable as an illness transgenderism and homo homosexuality were mental illnesses. And Freud had some very interesting things to say about that. That's why well, he's on my historical hit list. Like, people that I forget, if I could travel <laughs> back in time and, yeah. and punch in the face, you know? Oh. He's on the list. He started up there with Maslow. Freud, Freud had a lot of very interesting ideas <laughs> on a lot of things. Um, and maybe two were right. <laughs> yeah, and I think... I think very many of his theories may have been influenced by the fact that he had a crush on his mother. We just don't talk about it. You know, it looks bad for the psychological community. <laughs> there's, there's a reason why they don't use, like, he's a good jumping off point when you're starting to learn about it. But there's a reason why they don't use any of his theories anymore. <laughs> but in popular culture, his theories are used so much and it's ridiculous. Why are there penises everywhere? <laughs> well, to be fair, that's been going on since long before Freud. Oh, that's, there's a difference between being like Da Vinci's uh, apprentice and like doodling a dick in your notebook <laughs> and intentionally putting phallic figures on stuff and like intentionally an analyzing art and be like, oh, those trees, those are dicks. <laughs> introduction to the idea of there being non-binary non identities was actually still very binary. It was um, the idea of gender, gender fluidity uh, moving between the identities, in this case of male and female. And it was like, oh, well, um, maybe that's me. And I did that. And I, didn't, I did not change my name. I did not. I didn't mm -hmm. change my pronouns because 
I didn't feel like I had like I was in a position to do that. It's like, oh, I'm not trans enough, you know? Yeah. Or like it's or or there's also the compulsion that I, not myself but also other people I know who are just like, oh, I don't want to change my name and my pronouns because I don't want to be a burden on other people. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that is something that I have to I having a discussion that's in the the realm of internalized transphobia. The idea that it's not okay to ask people to change how they talk about you for you to be comfortable when it relates to something as vital as your identity. Mm. Anyway. Uh, okay, so the point where I actually did end up changing my name and um, changing my name happened before changing my pronouns because for about a year and a half was like, okay, I'm just gonna be, I'm gender fluid. That's my identity. Uh, but I'm not gonna make anyone say anything other than she because I just, like, I don't want to be that burden. And um, what that actually turned into is just, like, people... People already weren't respecting my name. And these are people I've been friends with for a while. And it was, it was kind of interesting to watch that happen because these are people who are completely open about sexuality and completely fine with that. And when this comes up, there's now this wall. And you don't really expect that when you have close friends who have been open about everything else and then hit this wall. That's when you start realizing, like, maybe maybe this isn't a situation I want to be in. Maybe these pe- people aren't people I totally want to be friends with because this is something that's actually important to me. But that tipping point really didn't come until I actually did decide, like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm actually not gender fluid. I don't identify as female. And I actually don't also identify as male. I, pre- I like to present masculine sometimes, but I also like to present feminine sometimes. But it really doesn't relate to my gender. I don't have one of those. It doesn't matter. I don't gender? have a gender. Genders? What are those? <laughs> Uninstalls gender to make room for other material. <laughs> um, okay, and then when I like, coming up with that position, like, okay, so I'm going to I'm going to use they them pronouns because I don't I felt very very uncomfortable with using she her. I didn't want to be associated with like being female. That was something I wasn't comfortable with. I'm still incredibly uncomfortable with people with people referring to she her, even if they understand that I'm not in fact female. And. <laughs> That's kind of the point where I realized, and some other people around me who were also trans realized that, like, maybe this group of people that we are involved with is not actually a safe space. And you lose friends. You really do. And it's really unfortunate that that happens because, you know, this can be a positive environment, but it's because of a specific scenario that happens, you don't get that position. You don't get to be friends with those people anymore because they don't actually care about you in this manner anymore. You've lost, in some way or another, their respect. Yeah. And it's just, I don't think some people realize just how important it is that people who aren't cis get that respect because it may not seem to be vital to a person who's not experiencing this transphobia, who's not experiencing this misgendering, but there has never been a situation in which someone has used the wrong pronoun for me, someone has used my birth name and not corrected themselves that I haven't forgotten. It's even when people don't correct you or people don't say anything or people don't say, hey, that's my name and that's not my name. It's not because they think it's okay. It's because they don't want to start this fight with you because every discussion can't be a fight. But it is when you start that. You can't like saying that even stopping someone to say like, oh, yeah, such and such. She's coming to the mall with us. You can't stop and say, no, they are coming to the mall with you because that's me. I'm they. Use my pronouns. You can't say that because people start think start taking that aggressively. People start taking that as, a, as an attack and they get defensive and that's not productive yeah. and it's not okay. And people cannot ever, ever think it's okay to misgender someone regardless of how much they co- are corrected. 
it's not the responsibility of a transgender person to make sure that person respects other that person respects pronouns and gender. And Absolutely. so really going through that process of losing friends and losing connections because of this lack of respect. I don't think I would have the same idea ideas I would have about myself and my own gender presentation and who I become friends with, who I have these relationships with if I hadn't had that happen to me. And at the same time, like a very short amount of time after that, my partner of almost two years came out to me and said, like, you know what? I hadn't felt safe in this environment that we'd been in before to say, I'm not cis either. I'm I'm agender. And I didn't feel comfortable or safe coming out in that scenario because other the people who were hurting you and the people who were hurting your friend hurt, hurting your friends made me feel not safe. And it's com- it's it's complicated to just see that happen because like how how long did I think that my partner was cis because they didn't feel safe? You know? That's just not okay. <sighs> And it's just, I guess what I'm saying is that it's it's so important to create safe spaces within your friend groups and within your families, within your, your social groups, within your classroom, within every situation that you're in. For, other people need to feel safe around you because you never know what they might not be telling you. And if you value your relationship with other people, you have to be honest and you have to be open. You have to care about them in the ways that are important to them. And there's really no getting around that. There's no excuse and there's there's no... <laughs> there's there's just no excuse. You are always responsible for the harm you do to other people. And when it comes to gender and when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to all these issues that m- most people don't have first-hand experience with unfortunately, it becomes unsafe. It becomes harmful and you you isolate people. And that's that's discrimination. That's homophobia. That's transphobia. When people aren't safe, when people aren't respected, that's that's harmful yeah and if i can number one we should all clap great (laughs) but i know there's nothing but number two i i was in that situation i i actually i did go through that with you i remember um i remember that happening and that was one of the reasons why even before that point, but especially after that point, I made certain that if I made friends with anybody or if I talked even to anybody, I made certain that they were trans friendly because if they weren't, I just I, I, I had to completely cut them out of my life because not because I necessarily felt the need to come out to everyone that I met, but because I knew that if somebody could not accept me for who I was. I could not be around them because it it would be toxic. Absolutely. Absolutely toxic. And that was definitely difficult to do in quite a few situations because I had people who I'd been friends with who I realized were toxic and I had, and it also made it so that I, I really had to um, make certain that I could trust people, that I could trust the people that I was with. And that was one of the things that I learned after coming out is that at this point, I don't walk anywhere unless I have somebody else walking with me at school, around my town, because if I 
were to, if I were to walk around by myself, I don't know what would happen to me. Because there's number one as a girl, but number two, especially as a trans girl, there's so much, there, there's such a chance that people are going to uh, assault me or just do anything like that to me. And I'm, I'm extremely grateful that I have such good friends that I was able to make friends that would be accepting of me even before I came out to them. <laughs> I think that's really the job of cis allies at this point is to be, Definitely. Is, to, is to create that kind of safe space. But even because I, of course, have always wanted to be like to be the person who can walk with, who can like walk with you and walk with other people who who need to feel safe. But I, I'm not safe either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Safety it, in numbers, man. Yeah. <laughs> Safety in numbers. It, it's hard to find that kind of safe space around because because when it comes to the point, you have to have cis friends who are who are allies who can be yeah. there for you who can do more than say okay well i'm going to respect your pronouns and name there's there's you more have to, to be you have to have that. somebody who's going to stick up for you who if if somebody else comes along and you know tries to beat the <laughs> out of you you have to have somebody who's going to stand who's going to stand up for you who's going to stand there with you and say hell no <laughs> absolutely and I, th- I think that's another part of I've heard this used in a lot of um, a lot of minority situations. It's the job of an ally is also to to speak out against other people who who are being discriminatory, who are being violent, mm-hmm. and say like, "You can't do that. That's not okay." Because those kind of people won't listen to people of minority groups. They only listen to people who are in the same majority. Yeah. So absolutely, there's no point as a trans person saying like, "Well, you can't treat me that way," because they don't respect you if you're they're transphobic, and so. That means there needs to be cis people out there who say, like, no, screw you. <laughs> You're wrong. They're right. Be not, be a good person. Dang it. Have respect for other human beings. Yeah. And I've only just now begun to find the words to say things like that. Because before, it's like, how do I word this without sounding like I'm trying to cut someone's head off? Because that might what may come to. Well, yeah. No, it's <laughs> absolutely. And that's one of the difficulties is you... Being a part, uh, just completely being part of any minority c- community, you really have to, in order to be taken seriously, you really have to watch out for using anger because there there can be a lot of anger if you're in a situation because you're in a really crappy situation. Absolutely. And minority and anger is invalidated all the time. Absolutely. 100%. Like if you're part of a minority, you're not allowed to be angry because if you're angry, you're just told you're, you're just told that you're being too sensitive that no, there's, there's really no issue going on there. So do you guys have any final statements? Any of us? I just like to thank you guys for having me here, and um, as a reminder to people who are listening, I, hi, my name is Klaus. Uh, follow me on the klauseffect.tumblr.com. I'm swaggy. I will make you laugh. I will also be very pissed off sometimes. I wrote a book. Read it. <laughs> it it's um, <laughs> it's actually more of a short essay, and it was very cool. It's about yeah. gender. It's about the. It's about Leela Alcorn and what happened in the, yeah. in the wake of her death. Hit me up. It, um, it's called the Lost Generation. Sweet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Swaggy, man. (laughs) Anyway, so I think that's about it for this section. We'll probably have 
another session quite a bit later. <laughs> yes. I don't know about you, but that was rather eye-opening. I would like to let you know that we are here for you if you need us. If you are experiencing any hardship over being isolated or shunned from your community, please do contact us. You can find links to Klaus's mentioned Tumblr page in the show notes. Anne Boudois, Cosmo Cavanaugh, Kyle Mitchell, Tracy Medcalf, and our featured guest Klaus McKendry all work together on this episode, and we would like to thank Anne and Klaus specifically for sharing their personal stories. Any questions, comments, or contributions that you may have for the show can be sent to geometricoctopus at gmail.com. Again, we would love to hear about your own experiences with gender and sexuality as well, if you are willing. Thank you for listening, and you are welcome to come back soon for another enriching experience.